Welcome back to Frivolous Comma, everyone. My guest today is Greta Heyer, hailing from New Orleans, where she spends time weaving her academic background and studying fairy tales and medieval medicine into her stories. Her work has appeared in Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Luna Station Quarterly, Cosmas Infinities, among others. She also runs Third Lantern Lit, a writer's community in New Orleans. Greta, thanks so much for uh, being on this podcast. I'm super excited about it. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So you are based in uh, New Orleans, is that right? Yes. Okay. How long have you been there? Have you been there all your life? Um, I moved here about six, seven years ago. Um, I went to the the creative writing workshop at UNO, the University of New Orleans, and I was like, I'll just come down for like the three years of the program. And then I like met my husband and we like bought a house that's sinking into the swamp. But uh, now I'm, I'm stuck here. <laughs> wow. And that, so I've been to New Orleans once in my okay. life uh, and I really enjoyed it. It was a lucky, it was a lucky time. Cause I was like, I think it was early January. It wasn't very hot, mm-hmm. um, but it was very, very temperate. And it was uh, just, was it? Was it just around Mardi Gras? Maybe no, maybe it was earlier than that. But I remember visiting Cafe Du Monde because mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's the that's the big place to to be down there. I think um, Cafe Du Monde is like the first coffee shop in the U.S. Is it really? I, I think I think it's like the first or the second. Like we also have, I think, the second bar in the United States. No way. That's yeah. Wild. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a I had a wonderful time. So I was there. My wife had a had a, a conference out there, and uh, I was there just by myself. So I just got to go, uh, you know, trundling around on the streets and stuff like that. It was great. I, yeah, I that, that's the way to do it. Is just kind of like, I'm I travel a lot, and I just really think that the best way to do it is just be like, okay, this is where I'm staying. I'm going to just walk places and like, oh, that smells good. I'll go there. Or, oh, that music's cool. Like, let me pop in and see what that's all about. Makes a lot of sense. I, uh, I remember, uh, so, and then, and then on the, um, the walk by the river, right. Mm -hmm. And it was like super foggy, uh, when I was there. And I was like, what am I going to see when this uh, stuff clears? And it was, it was an amazing sight because it was, it was completely obscured. And then oh, yeah. the fog lifted because I was like out there at like seven thirty in the morning or something like that, and it finally uh, uh, you know lifted and it was it's actually super cool to see the giant there's a couple of the giant brown river, <laughs> the giant brown river, and there's a couple of barges that were going across too. And I was like, yep. oh my lord, this is this is quite the quite the sight. So super cool that you're there. I want to visit again. Oh, come um, back! You should come for I think it's Worldcon is going to be here in November. That's right. Yeah, and. Um, I would love to be down there, although I have a couple of other trips planned, not in New Orleans, unfortunately. That's fair. And I've, I was like, it was, it was a real toss-up. I was like, do I, do I shun my other responsibilities and go to Worldcon instead? <laughs> <laughs> so this is, um, that's fantastic. Now, tell me something. Uh, you've, uh, you're obviously writing uh, speculative fiction. How did you get into it? Why did you get into it? When did you get into, get into it? I'm just going to open up the floor there. Um, I don't know why spec versus like, I don't like normal fiction, but, um, I'll tell you the story. It's kind of embarrassing is, uh, I was in fifth grade and I wrote this story called Vivian's Quest 
and it's about this girl named Vivian and like she has a unicorn and she has to get the unicorn's horn back from a fire monster which is essentially a Balrog she's got a whole like I am no man sort of line because my dad had read me Lord of the Rings as a kid so I just put the plot with more unicorns and more girls and so I came from a really small town in Iowa and there was a county contest for these short stories and I won the county contest because there's like five other stories maybe in competition but from that moment on I'm like I'm an incredible writer. I can do. I can do this. I'm the best writer in the world. I won this contest, and I was only in fifth grade. There were sixth graders in this contest, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, my siblings like memorized Vivian's quest, and they used to like quote it at me because it, uh, it's deeply embarrassing, but also, like, as I only have warm thoughts about it now because it's, it was the thing that jump started me on my whole. Like, I don't, I don't know. I feel weird calling it a career because I have like a day job, but my whole writing journey. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, most everyone that I've talked to has a day job, right? Um, mm-hmm. but this continues to be, I guess, a night job, really, because yeah. uh, they will stay up hours and hours at night, uh, you know, coming up with the stuff. And I do the same thing too. So it makes a lot of sense. I think we're all uh, dual careerists here, right? Yeah. So, Fair. Um, that is fascinating to me that, uh, so, so it sounds like fifth grade, right, kind of kind of got you started. Yep. Gave you a, a, a great boost of confidence. Yeah, right? and um, honestly, totally unwarranted, but somehow that, that skated me across many years until I actually realized how bad my writing was and how much it could improve. So, so tell me that. So, so fifth grade, and then you, obviously you continued writing since then, right? Mm-hmm. And how was that through through school, high school, college, et cetera, et cetera? How, how'd that go? Um, I wrote a lot in middle school. I transferred schools and was really weird and lonely, and so I wrote a lot in middle school, high school to like kind of get through that experience. High school's rough for everybody. Um, in undergrad, I wrote mostly poetry. It was like I spent four years writing poetry and I like never did anything with it. But when I started applying for grad schools, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do fiction. And one of my professors is like, what are you talking about? You're a poet. And I'm like, no, no, that was just something I did for a while. Like, I'm a fiction. I write, I want to write a novel. And, um, but I started submitting those poems recently and one just came out yesterday in Spoon River Poetry Review. So that's kind of fun that the stories are coming. Thank you. It's fun that they actually exist in the world now in a way that wasn't just like undergrad for fun. Um, But then I went into grad school for fiction, wrote a ton of short stories, but uh, I really think I'm a novelist. So since I graduated in 2020 from my from my MFA and 2020 sucked for many reasons but um, for me it was also a little bit of a blessing because I had you know these three years jam-packed of like writing instruction and then I had all this free time where I was getting unemployment and I wrote like a dragon YA trilogy that will never see the light of day. Um, 
But then after that, I started some other books. And so I've written, oh God, like four first drafts since 2020, but also they're bad. And so I'm, I'm working on the rewrite of a, of a book I'm calling Tale of Tales. I'm working on that right now. I had queried it and I got a lot of full requests and I had an agent offer, but I didn't jive with the agent quite right. And so I like rejected her and then I like went to all the other agents and I'm like, what do you think? Do you want it now? And they're like, no, thank you. Like, so I'm rewriting the whole thing and it's so much better this time around, but it is a lot of work. This is, yeah, yeah, you're, you're going in, into a lot of, you're opening up a lot of doors of questions for me. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it, uh, tame and sane, uh, here. But so, so tell me a little bit, like the, the shift from now, it sounds like you're still working on poetry though, alongside your, your fiction. Is that, is that a fair statement? Um, yes and no. I try to think about like poetic phrases a lot and things I'd want to put in a poem, but they come out more in short stories or in just regular fiction or prose, or they come out as tweets, which is like not the healthy version of poetry, but it's fun anyway. I, I enjoy I enjoy tweet storms uh, that that come through. Although, like, and and there, to be fair, there is a uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this. There is a tweet Twitter account that is um, uh, Twitter fiction, a Twitter uh, science fiction uh, tweets. Oh basically. yeah, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Micro. I've seen a couple that will like post super micro stories. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? That's the one, and I think those are fantastic because they're like well, no pun intended. But um, they're like super fun to read because they are these little doorways into a, a complete set of ideas, and mm-hmm. I, I um, I'm enthralled with that format because it's sort of like it kind of reminds me of those um, make your own adventure stories, right? Like you start off with a prompt and you continue going, but then um, you know it just gets more and more complex, and then now there's multiple threads and so on and so forth. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Was was speculative fiction? Sounds like your very first story, Vivian's Quest, was spec fic at that point. And so it's like, is that something that you've just always been drawn to? Or did there was there a, a shift back and forth somewhere, or how'd that go? Um, I don't only write spec stuff, but like for example, one of my bad drafts is a Dungeons and Dragons themed rom com. So it's about like these people who play D and D together, and like their characters fall in love, and then like they start to have feelings for each other, and it's like super cute. But it's like it's there's no magic except when they're pretending that they're wizards. Um, nice. But I think I prefer spec stuff just because it gives you so much creativity. Um, I wrote a story a while ago and, uh, fingers crossed it gets published someday, but it's called The Funeral at the Edge of the World, and it's just a funeral, but they, like, throw the casket off the edge of the world, um, because the world is flat, obviously, um, and I think that just having, even though the whole story, like, nothing really magical happens besides the setting itself being so weird, um, I think having the freedom with the setting and having the like ability to change just like these little things makes it so much more compelling than say just like a normal funeral. 
Um, so, I mean, that's why I like spec is you get to like get dramatic. You get to have like grand castles and huge battles. Um, I also love spec because I love history and I think it's really cool to be able to weave history into these like fake histories. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of um, what's it called? Uh, 16 Ways to Defend a Walled Kingdom by K.J. Parker. I've never read this one. Um, okay, I highly recommend. It's it's sort of like Roman history, but different. Okay. And you can tell how well-researched the writer is. Like, um, I think K.J. Parker studied history, is a historian. But like, reading that series, you're like, bro, you just stole this plot point from Herodotus. Like, like it, it, there's so many funny little things. Like, like there's a whole thing about camels that's a scene in Herodotus. And I'm like, hmm. But I, I love that. And I love seeing that as a reader. And just, like, it, that brings me a lot of joy to see how our history as human beings is so rich and complicated and beautiful, but what we're taught in schools and what we are shown like in media is such a tiny lens. And once we get into like the really weird, cool things, um, a memory called empire by Arkady Martin. So the naming structure, did you read that book? Yes, I did. Yeah, uh, and I am. I, I I love her series. I'm actually just starting to read her second one, The Desolation. I haven't uh, started the second one yet, but okay. yeah. no spoilers. Um, I was immediately drawn, and and sorry to interrupt, but I was immediately drawn to it. Like from like, there's very few books that actually like, you know, force me to read them. Basically, mm-hmm. and this was the a Memory Called Empire was one of them, and it was it's amazing. But continue. Well, so Arkady Martin, I mean, I also felt the same way. I loved A Memory Called Empire. Um, But Arkady Martin is like a Byzantine historian. And with her her other name, she's got two names. Um, And I just think that's incredible. And I think reading that book, it shows the complicatedness of the Byzantine court through this, like, you know, sci-fi empire. And the naming structure itself is like heavily influenced from, um, oh, it's one of the cultures in like ancient Mesopotamia. They had like a number and then like a holy animal or like a holy plant or something. And so that's how we get like three seagrass and what is it? Like six, like all their crazy names. I love their names so much in that book. And I think how she's been able to steal isn't the right word but like borrow these beautiful things from like human history and weave it into this image of human future I just think that's that just adds a whole nother layer of like expertise and craft and beauty to her work I think I think that's spot on I've I've come across a number of writers who are doing a lot of retellings right mm-hmm. of historical events or of even just m- myths or your know, fairy tales and all this stuff right and i think there's there's a good reason for that which is and why it i guess captures us is because there's it's a clear reference point right there's a, an immediate i feel like emotional connection to it but i think that it's actually something that i've been thinking about from in, in some of the work that I'm doing, which is the, 
I'm very interested in how our perspective of the future changed over time. Because every, every generation mm-hmm. has thought of the future. We're not the only ones. Yeah. We're probably not ever the only, the only ones who thought of, of science fiction from that standpoint. Like, how did, was, science fiction probably was not called science fiction back in the 1800s. But I'm very sure that somebody and or a whole group of people were thinking about what is what the world or life going to look like 250 years down the road, 1,000 years down the road. Absolutely. And that is very compelling to me. And I think that, that people who write these wonderful stories where they weave uh, a historical context and the characters there and how they're, you know, what does life evolve like and what does the future look like for them through those stories, I think those are extremely fun to, to read because you're like, oh, there's, there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheekness there too. It's like, uh, you know, everyone's in the know to some degree because you know how the history went through. But then, like, you know, there's there's this element of surprise or an element of something other in the story that is, um, you know, helps you rethink the whole whole situation. Absolutely. I love – I'm a huge fan of retellings um, – in a lot of ways. I mean, the book I'm rewriting is called The Tale of Tales, and it's a rewriting of um, Giambattista Basile's The Tale of Tales, or The Pentamerone, which is the first recorded book of Western fairy tales. And then, like, the Brothers Grimm started translating it, and then they were like, ah, oh, fuck it, we'll just steal the stories so a lot of the stories are copied and like we see the original like sleeping beauty we see a lot of like the like really dark weird stories um and just like the absolutely insane ones and so I studied that in my undergrad and then I'm like how do I write this as a book that's accessible and like I mean the original was like deeply racist so I'm like how do I not do that but like retell these stories um and I don't know how well I'm succeeding, but uh, it's I I'm always been drawn to those because I think the the hint of familiarity and just like the there's a pull there, like you want you think you know the end, and then there can still be a surprise. I don't know. That's I don't know exactly where that thought's going, but I love it. It makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think that I see. And, and when I was reading some of your stories, or your short stories, um, it's – correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like a lot of these short stories that you're writing, they're portions of other things that you're writing. I feel like they're kind of tied together with larger projects that you might be working on. It's just the feeling that I get when I read them. Um, they're not – like they're not meant to be standalone, and yet they are. In some ways, like I feel like I'm following a thread every time I read a new story. I'm like, yes, there's a connection here, and I can't obviously I can't put my finger on that connection because I feel like it's part of a larger universe. Is that is that a fair statement at all? I don't. I have a couple stories that are part of much larger universes, um, but and then I also have I also have a story that I queried for a long time, and it was or not queried, but like submitted for a long time. And it was in my thesis, and they're like, this story has your best writing, but it feels like chapter one. And I got a lot of 
editor com- commentary that was just like, we'd love to publish this, but this really doesn't feel complete. This feels like chapter one. And then I woke up one day and I'm like, oh yeah, that was chapter one. Like here's chapter two. Like, <laughs> um, and, but hmm, what stories are you thinking of in particular? Cause I have a couple that exist in a world, in a larger world. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, very happy to be wrong here, but when I read The Augur and the Girl Left at His Door, felt like it was a continuation of something, and I'll, and I'll go deeper into like what I was thinking of when I was reading that, and then uh, your uh, your work Enter in Cosmos Infinities also felt a little uh, like it was part of something larger, like it was a vignette and something else going on. Um, those were Those were two that kind of really stood out to me as being like, I'm coming in the middle of something. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I mean, don't get me wrong. They work as, as individual stories, but mm-hmm. I just felt like there was something more going on and you could have a, either, you know, a prequel story to it or, or another one after it or something like that. I don't know if that's on, on point or not, but. I mean, both those are sort of standalone, um, the auger is definitely like my best story ever. And I wrote it several years ago and it's hard to be like, maybe I will write something as good again. (laughs) Um, But that I just wrote that one. There's no other world. There's no like deeper anything. I just liked the world enough. And I, I was thinking about this story actually this morning. It's called a heretic by degrees by Marie Brennan. And she does this like excellent world building and it does, she does have like accompanying short stories in that same world, but just that one story builds so much so quickly and so like deftly there, there's not a sentence that isn't pulling its weight, you know, and it's got this like fairy tale charm to it. Very like storytelling. Like I think the first line is, the king was dying and there was nothing in the world that to save him. And then the the characters are like, well, we must go out of the world. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Sorry, I don't know if I can swear. Um, but uh, I think you'll be fine. Okay. Um, but I tried to do, like, I try to do that technique whenever I can. And whenever I'm stuck in, like, a world-building thing, I try to think about that story or I reread that story um, just because, I don't know, it's one of my favorites, too, so it's easy to keep going back to it. But And then the Enter in Cosmas was, uh, I had a really weird dream, like, years and years ago. And it just kind of like really bothered me for a long time. And then I'm like, what if I just wrote it into a weird story? So like, yes, there's this like larger world, the larger like dreamscape that makes no sense whatsoever. And I tried to like distill it and give it a little bit of a plot, not a ton of plot. That's not my strong point. (laughs) Well, so, so um, actually, if you don't mind, I I will say that like the stories of yours that I've read, uh, right. Are, they're not plot-heavy stories. Um, mm-hmm. I find them extremely introspective. Um, it's it's a journey inwards. Um, and Enter was definitely the, the, like the the most apparent of that. Right. Okay. Like I think that 
when I read that one, I was like, okay, this is this is very interesting because it's not again, there was no plot in there except that I felt like you were in that story, what I came away with was the sense that your protagonist had a had choices to make, but they were not choices. They did not feel like they were choices um, presented to your protagonist. They were choices of her own making. Um, and and it just and and the because it, it ends that way. I feel I feel like mm-hmm. that was like there was a choice, but those choices were always there, and it was not necessarily something that she was forced to pick. Uh, she was she was kind of finding her way to that choice, anyways. In a lot of cases, and I, I felt like that was the that was the, the point of the story, um, is these these doorways and and then the house, uh, all of this was looking at what choices would we make if we had we could make any choice, um, regardless of what what the like you know the larger world gave us or didn't give. Very internal. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I'm a, I'm flattered by by that interpretation. <laughs> um, though I do think a lot about, um, I had a therapist as a kid cause I was a weird kid. And he said, I was like going through my like really angry atheist phase. And he's like, look, you can make it through this world but you have to believe in something. So you have to give some things meaning and it doesn't matter what exactly the meaning is but like you're gonna be depressed forever if you can't like find something you know and my dad always my dad maybe my dad's the reason I'm into spec because he's he's a huge nerd like loves Star Trek his favorite episode is the trouble with tribbles and like read me Lord of the Rings and he um we like cleared out a section of the forest together so I could have an elven glade and we like set up logs in this like big circle of trees that's commanding yeah, he's he. We have little like like solar powered lights, and he would hang them outside my window, and we'd call them like fairy lights, and they'd be like in the backyard. So I would see them, and he'd move them sometimes because it's the fairies moving. Like my dad was, wow. in, my dad is incredible, and he was. We have a really good connection, I think, in just this like weird magical way, but my dad said something to me as a kid growing up um where I'm like oh man Joan of Arc has already done all these great things at 16 and I'm like I haven't even kissed a boy like you know and like oh these characters in this fantasy book they've already saved the kingdom like they've already done all these great things and like I'm just like going to high school and I hate it and my dad's like he wrote for my 16th birthday he gave me like an envelope and it had two tickets in it and one was the ticket to the past and it's you can always like remember your past and like find that spark of magic and like reimagine yourself however you want and one is like the ticket to the future which is like you know all the great things you will become that's really sweet and small yeah he he always was about trying to find the spark of magic and like the little thing it was like the same thing my therapist talked about, but in different ways, just like finding that little thing that makes the world a little bit more joyful or a little bit more beautiful or just, 
you know, that tiny bit of magic somewhere because there are tiny bits of magic everywhere. I love that. I think that that's awesome. I feel like I should have your dad on the podcast too. Um, My dad is super cool and amazing. He would not be able to be on a podcast. He's very <laughs> awkward. <laughs> no, all cool. All good. And it was, it's very interesting to me because like, I think that the, the, the question I have in my mind for a lot of your work is, you know, where, where, did, where are you, where do you get your ideas from? And I'm, I'm sure every, every reader asks every author that question or wants to, right? But it's, uh, I, I want to be a little bit more specific around that. Like talking about the auger and the girl left at his door, again, not a plot story, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it, again, very internal, very uh, about the relationship that was created. Um, and, but it's a very interesting setup, like the entire, I I love that story, by the way, it's, it's extremely rich, which is why I felt like there's more here and there could be a lot more coming. Um, tell me about the auger and, and the girl left at his door. Where, what brought that about? Um, I'm trying to think. So I started that book. I was sitting in my like then boyfriend's bed and he's like playing some video game. Oh, he's playing Red Dead Redemption. I can remember that. Okay. Um, and now he's my husband. So that's kind of cute. But uh, I just thought of the first like paragraph where he's looking at the back of the bridegroom and can see the future there. And I'm like, that would be cool. And I think about like palmistry, like that would be really cool. But I wanted something like, darker than that and weirder than that um and I really like how exposing his magic is like you have to like look at I mean he's like the suitor scene is like very weird um but it's very exposing and you to like know the truth of someone you have to like view them totally naked like you they can't even have hair um and oh what else did I borrow from that I love, like, I mean, I got into anime and stuff, so I'm like, let me make it, like, kind of weird, not weird, but, like, sort of empire-y, and I didn't want to name any, like, there's no real culture in this story, like, but I was like, let me borrow some influences, and, like, I'll call him the emperor, and he'll have this palace with, like, beautiful gardens and all this stuff, and I had just been to South Korea, um... One of my friends lived in Seoul for three years, so I went and visited her, um, and she was a teacher, and I spent all day just, like, exploring, and I had a, f- I had a friend from undergrad who just, like, he's South Korean, so he's like, I'll show you around, and we'd, like, go to palaces, and we'd go to, like, art museums, and we'd go and look at all these things while my friend was working, and then I'd, like, go out and party with my friend afterwards, um, but I just... There's a palace in Seoul, and I kept thinking back to that palace. I forget what it's called right now. I think it starts with a G. Um, but it was so beautiful and so stunning. So, like, when I pictured it, I'd picture this palace, but I tried not to, like, describe it perfectly because, like, I didn't – I think it's very – I try very hard to, like, re- if I'm going to talk about a culture that isn't, like, my own heritage – I want to research it super well. I want to make sure I'm doing justice to it. And, um, like, that's that goes back to my whole, like, historian part of me. But 
I and like my love of historians based stories but like I think we can borrow interesting aspects and like interesting flavors in a way that's very like intriguing and lovely and sort of like a cultural sharing rather than like an appropriation because it's just like oh this palace was so beautiful it's like in my mind now and I'm gonna like casually set some of the story here but not actually there just like a a vision of it does that make any sense I find it yeah I, I find the question of appropriation versus celebration uh, mm-hmm. an interesting dichotomy and and this could be controversial for folks who listen to this but yeah you know, I don't know if I'm doing it right but I'm trying my best and I, I don't know either because I think that it's it's a question of and you know I, I I'm I don't come from the United States. Um, you know, my parents are Indian. I grew up in Ethiopia. So it's like there's a number of, you know, cultures and things and artifacts swirling around in my head. And I'm like, okay, what am I, you know, as, as a person who's had experiences and, you know, when you travel and stuff like that, we're all carrying these things, right? We're all carrying mm-hmm. these artifacts and these ideas and experiences in our heads. And as writers, you know, we're probably always going to put some of that stuff into our work. And it's a question of like, what is, what is at the end of the day, this respectful um, version of that? Um, And I'm not sure if there's necessarily a line, right? Which Mm -hmm. is, hey, this is right. And this is wrong. I think there's, there's definitely gray. So I don't, I don't know where I land on that. I'm not suggesting that, you know, any, any writers done it perfectly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that any writers done it um, completely incorrectly. Well, well, I think there are people who do it incorrectly, places. but yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think I think there's definitely a way to do it badly. Um, I think as in terms of what is, I think the effort around it matters quite a bit. Um, I would not be able to, you know, do justice to the Ethiopian, uh, you know, the imperial times and the, and its history back then. Mm-hmm just because I don't know enough about it, right? Yeah. And I think that even if I do research, it's always going to be secondhand at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that one of the biggest reasons why diverse spec fic is so so important to me is because, you know, growing up in Ethiopia, I was like, wait, these, how do, how do Ethiopians think of their future? Like, is it really mm-hmm. robots and spaceships? Eh, I'm not entirely sure if that's necessarily the case. I think that is a sense of, you know, uh, colonial, uh, you know, um, holdover and things like that. That's kind of dictating that. But I, I never read, you know, Ethiopian science fiction writers, for example, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. these are the kinds of questions and, and things that I'm very interested in exploring, which is why I think SpecFic gives us a huge open canvas for doing yeah. something like that. It's, and I think what I like about the work that you're doing and, and how you're writing these is that, especially the short stories, it's very interesting to me how you're, like what you said, you, you have these experiences, you're pulling elements of them into your story, not necessarily creating a, uh, you know, a well-bounded culture or a well-bounded setting around it. Mm-hmm. It's just like this vignette of a story that kind of can exist on its own with you know, features from things that you've experienced and that you've researched and, and have seen. Tell me a little bit more about you know, your influences. I mean, obviously, like, the history uh, and, and your what you studied in school and so on is a big piece of it. 
tell me a little bit more about other uh, influences, other writers or other um, stories that you've uh, read. Oh, I mean, I read a lot and I love, I love, I love reading. Um, here, let me look at, I'll show you or I'll, I'll pull it up just for reference. I write every book that I've read every year and this I'm at a, uh, 118 books for this year and so i i read a lot um and i love oh man i love so many writers and but who are my favorites right now well i really how do i i feel like i have different influences for different stories right so i think um I'm working on the story in my head and I've written a rough draft and I'm like sort of doodling with like the third rough draft that still sucks. <laughs> um, but I just read The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by, it's on my bookshelf, can I see the title? I can't see the title or the writers from here, but she, it's like a romance. It's super weird. It's got like weird Western vibes. They have like Equimeris who are sort of like horses, but they also swim and they don't have hooves. They have like flopping fish feet and they have the, like they have like gods sometimes and demigods and they have this weird realm of the gods that people go and hunt zombies in. Like, and the story is a romance between these two characters, but the, just like the absolutely absurd world and how it gives levity to all the things and still manages to be like tear jerkingly like it hits you in the heart um but it also you're also like giggling and laughing and like they have these like maybe cars they take gasoline and you drive them but they're called auto ducks and so there's like a scene where like this character is like really angry at his like subordinate and he's like get in the duck and i'm like dying because <laughs> it's so funny but also it's very serious and like that like juxtaposition of bizarre bizarre and beautiful and like heart-wrenching i'm like how do i do that That's so fun. right now i keep like rereading that book and um because i'm like it just came out and I'm like reading it for the second time. But um, I really like that. Oh, and probably my biggest influence as a kid was Tamora Pierce. I don't know if you've ever heard of oh, her. Yeah. yeah, she wrote the Atlanta books. She wrote the like Immortals books. Oh. Um, the Immortals books. Um, I reread them over Christmas last year. Um and I'm just like, oh boy, I see a lot of things I stole like inadvertently from these books. Cause I was so Emperor Mage, the third one was like my favorite book for, for like years as a kid. And I read it probably like 15 times. Um, and then obviously I'm just like stealing all that, all this stuff from it, like in the back of my head, not on purpose. And then when I reread it, I'm like, oh, that's where that came from. Oh, that's where that came from. Um, which, which I think is awesome. And I think that those books are so well written, especially for like YA. And I don't know. I, she was, she's a great writer. Tamora Pierce, if you ever hear this, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, to, call, uh, to, to give her a shout out. I think it's interesting to me because like, so 
when I first started writing, I, I was introduced to fantasy world with David Eddings. I don't know if that's... I don't think I've read know. David Eddings. Okay. What uh, did he write? He wrote uh, two pentologies. So one was called the Belgariad, another one's called the Melorian. So there's like five books oh. in each one. And it's, it's a classic sword and sorcery kind of story. But, you know, this is many years ago. And um, it's so funny because that was my introduction. I was, I was amazed with the fact that writers could describe and create a world, right, from scratch with this level of uh, detail and just, you know, um, I guess emotional heft, really. It was really, really interesting to me. I was reading it when I was in eighth grade, seventh and eighth mm-hmm. grade, kind of thing. So, um, and I remember starting to write and it's pretty much like you know david eddings version two like it was like i'm just trying to copy what he did because i thought it was the best thing ever yeah Um, when you mentioned it's what the 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 malorian the malorian yeah yeah i've been told to read those so many times and i just haven't it's um it's so it is it is like the epic fantasy it's it's uh uh you know sword and sorcery there's a there's a journey there's these orbs that have to be collected or found you know there's like different um tribes it's it's very much in line with like the lord of the rings it's very much in Mm -hmm. line with those kinds of um you know epic journey fantasy novels um and you know i'm thinking of uh your tad williams and things like that too so and it was the the shift for me took place in uh, when I was reading an interview by him and uh, by David Eddings, and he's like, you know, there's the, the form of magic he uses is called the will and the word, and it's basically, you know, you have to will something to happen, and then you have to speak the word, and that and your magic happens, like your sorcery happens, and he's like, you have to be careful about how how kids read this because if you can't make it too real, because if you do, and a kid uh, thinks that they can do it. And they decide to jump out of the window, thinking that they can fly. That's that's on you, kind of thing. I was like, oh, it, it's the first time that it occurred to me that you know writers have a responsibility to, of some some sort, and that kind of I guess in a weird way drove me deeper into writing because I was like, there's there's influence here, mm-hmm. and uh, you know if if a story is is written well then you're really working with somebody's mind and their heart. And it's it's an interesting place to be, not because you want to have that influence, but because you realize that that's, that's the power of words. Um, and that's happened to be my skill set at that point. Um, it's, I, I wonder about, you know, the, the challenges of how you write. You know, you're obviously reading a lot of books and you're reading and then you're, you know, connecting with do you do you get an opportunity to connect with other writers and and how do you work your way through your writing um i know you've started a writer's group it sounds like third lantern lit mm-hmm. I believe. and i i love the fact that you've started this tell me tell me and the audience a little bit more about what you're doing there um so about this time last year so i think november was our first official meeting um, me and two of my friends, Maggie Sheffer, who is an excellent writer, who um, she has only one piece published, but there will soon be more. I, I am, mark my words, she's very great. And Chanel, who I went to see, I went to the program UNO with, um, we, we were like, 
wait, let me go back. So after I graduated, I remember I graduated in 2020 and I went from having this like thriving writing community where we're like sharing work and talking about stuff and drinking too much at bars to it's 2020. I suddenly have no friends. Like it was very startling. And like my husband's an artist, but he's not a writer. And so, you know, it's hard sometimes for me to like talk about plot points with him or like the nuances of like POV and things like that. And because he's just like, whatever you want, baby, I'm sure it'll be great. And I'm like, I need you to have an opinion about something that you don't actually have an opinion about. Um, So I'm like, how do I talk to more writers? And then Maggie is like, what I really want is like a co-working space for writers. And so the dream was first to like buy a house. And then we're like, we have no money. Um, So we just started doing, Maggie was like, what if we did the pop-up version of having a house? Like, what does that look like? And I'm like, oh, writing events. Like, we'll like all get together at a bar and write. Or we'll all like talk about writing in a bookshop or all these little things. So we've been doing about three events a month sometimes. The goal is to do four in November because it's like NaNoWriMo. But um, we've really been lucky. We've got to work with some great local writers. Um, Jamie Attenberg is huge. Um, Danny Cherry Jr. is excellent. He His story in Apex just came out. That's It's a really awesome story. Um, I'm trying to rope Lizzie Tran into it, E.M. Tran, whose book came out yesterday. Shout out to her. Her book is awesome. I got to read the arc, so I feel like very special. Um, and so, so there's been some like really great local interest. Also, Maurice Ruffin sometimes comes to our events, and I'm like deeply honored because he's like the coolest person I know. <laughs> um, but he, I like I've met him like three times, and he's so nice. And yeah, he's he's really a lovely human. Um, and so we've been really lucky to have some like great connections and New Orleans is a city of great writers. And the problem, the problem though, is that there's not a lot of opportunities for those writers to meet. Like there's a lot of readings, but the readings sort of get like repetitive. Like they'll keep having the same people over and over again. Um, we have a couple like awesome lit mags, like Tilted House is awesome and beautiful, but there's not really a great opportunity to just like hang out with writers. Um, and so we're like, what if we did that? And so we've been doing that and we have like a discord for people to chat and find beta readers and things like that, as well as just having writer friends. It, it really makes a huge difference. It's, it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's actually something that I've been thinking about too. So I have a couple of folks that I work with, uh, and, you know, just hang out and, and you know, I guess shoot the wind with, uh, for stories and ideas and, you know, what our challenges are. Cause I think, you know, everyone says this writing is pretty solitary, which it is, but at the end of the day, if you have like, if you have conversations with a number of people and you've had these comments running around in your head and so on, it makes it, it makes it easier. Uh, and, and I think that the, the one thing, and then tell me your experience with this. I don't know if you've worked with like an online writing community or anything like that. And like, I find the pandemic is not, was not something that I thought helped the entire digital world, because I think that at the end of the day, we want that physical social connection. 
that doesn't happen over Zoom or over a chat and stuff like that. But tell me your experience. I don't know if, if you're part of any online uh, writing communities and so on, if that helps, if that doesn't help. Um, I've tried some online stuff in the past, but I sort of agree with you that the pandemic made things really hard. And I, one of the things that Third Lantern lit when we started, we decided very strongly we're not going to do online events. Like if, if there's a COVID surge, we'll cancel. Like we'll all get vaccinated. We'll all stay up to date with our boosters. But like we miss being there. And I think that a lot of people have felt that way. And I think that's why we've been successful as this like little organization because people are dying to actually talk about it. And I feel like online, I mean, online writing communities work really well for a lot of people. So I'm not trying to like dismiss them. And I think that in many ways they're wonderful and it allows you to be with people from far, far away. Um, but being with people really close up is really helpful too. And it's, we do this event called Pitch Your Problem. And it's like the writer gets like two minutes to talk and then everybody kind of like jumps in to help them with ideas for a couple minutes. And then like we move on. Like it's super fast. Like we like, we, it's like speed dating for your problem. Yeah. And, you know, I could make a post in some community that's just like, I don't know, should I put footnotes in my novel? Like, that that's that was my problem and this is my book Rothbart which I'm currently querying and it's Swan Lake from the villain's point of view um from the evil wizard um so I'm like should I put footnotes in and the conclusion was you know every everyone's got different opinions everyone's jumping in with different things they're like what would your footnotes even do and I'm like well Rothbart like is obsessed with how smart he is. His footnotes would just be him talking about every magic spell, like into deep detail. And I'm like, oh, actually that works really well because it shows his character. It shows like this greater range of the magic in the world because I don't really go super deep into how that works. And then it also just is, they're so funny because he's being like, He's literally annotating his own story to, like, prove how much smarter he is, which I think is the That's essence great. of this character. And, but I don't know if I ever would have decided to do that because I was, I don't, that didn't occur to me as something to do until I started talking about it with people. And then I was still kind of against it. And then everyone's like, why don't you just put in, like, five and see if you like it? And then I, I think I have like 30 footnotes now. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I think the point of the whole story is talking to people helps, at least me. Like, And I don't know if an online community can always do that for me. Yeah, it's, I think it's a fair statement. I think, um, you know, my experience, one of the things that I worry about with online communities and forums is either two, either no, no responses <laughs> or too many, and mm -hmm. now you're like, okay, now it's, I have an extra job of kind of sifting through which comments or notes I, I like and which ones I don't. And, you know, we're, it distracts from the actual writing to some degree. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the things that, you know, from frivolous standpoint is to create, sort of like having, having like how you have your two friends that you started your, you know, third lit uh, lantern, third lantern lit with, mm -hmm. 
is having that core group of people that you know you can always go to, you can always reach out to and say, hey, check this out. Tell me what you think. Is this does this work or not? Like they're they're your your um you know, you know easy and available folks that you're safe with, right? Yeah. And that will that you have the trust in their criticism or their critique of your work, um, which is hard to do in an online. Maybe I'm old school, but I feel like it's hard to do in an online setting. It's like writing is pretty personal. Um, and if somebody comes down a little too hard on, on what you're writing, that, that comes pretty discouraging. And I think that having a, a personal connection with somebody that you're like, okay, this is my, my writing peer or yeah. group of writing peers, it's a lifelong thing because you know that you can always go to them and say, "Hey, I'm trying. I'm going to write something completely different. I know we, uh, you've always read, you know, I don't know, spec fic from me, but I'm going to go write a mystery today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts? And then you're not worried about them coming back and being like, "Are you nuts? You know, or, or yeah. you're okay with them saying that because you have implicit trust. Um, yeah. I, I kind of, I, when I saw that you started Third uh, Lantern Lit, um, I thought that was, I think that's fantastic. I, I love the idea of, of a pop-up um, writing group. And I think that for folks out in New Orleans, I think this is, this is super cool. Definitely give it a shout out. Thank um, you. Um, I think what I want to end with is, you know, what are some, it sounds like you, you have, is it Rothbart that you're querying? What are some projects that you're working on that you're excited about? Um, and yeah, I think uh, any I guess words of advice for other writers who are in in who are you know trying to trying to make a go of this and, and get out there. Ooh, okay. Um, a lot of question, a lot of stuff. Okay, so I'm always writing. I I'm like obsessed with word count to like a dangerous degree, and probably problematic. Um, but I'm uh I'm querying Rothbart currently, and if it doesn't get picked up in this round of querying, I'm going to rewrite it totally from scratch, a la the Matt Bell technique, which is in his book, Refuse to be Done, which I hate, but also love because every piece of advice he gives is frustrating, but is correct. And he has his, one of his big pieces of advice is that you just rewrite everything in your book from scratch and if you're like, oh, this scene is boring, like, just don't write, if you don't want to rewrite the scene, like, someone probably doesn't want to read it. So, like, figure out how to do it differently or figure out how to skip that scene. Or So, I'm rewriting The Tale of Tales, which was the book I queried and got an agent offer on. So, I have a question for the world is, how do you requery a book that's had a dramatic rewrite? And I'll probably be querying that in the next couple months because the rewrite goes pretty fast. Um, those are like my big projects at the moment. Um, and then I have a D&D rom-com that I'm like sitting on until I can have the space to do the total rewrite because I think you need a lot of... Um, you need to let go of the things that you love about it that don't work. And I, I know it's like the kill your darlings thing, but it's not quite killing your darlings. It's like, yeah, this is a fun banter scene, but like, does it actually do anything? Like, are any of these things actually moving the story forward? Or did you just write it so you could have this one cute line of dialogue? Is there a different way to use that line of dialogue? Um, 
anyway, that's what the Matt Bell technique does. Um, what were the rest of the questions that you asked? Sorry, I got so, kind of distracted. That's all good. Um, so, uh, you know, final parting words for other writers, uh, you know, and, you know, words of advice or ex from experience and so on in terms of, you know, making progress on your work, um, finding community, um, well, and uh, publishing, really. Um, so I don't have a ton of great advice for publishing because it's hard and I don't yet have an agent, but that hopefully will change soon. Um, but for writers I th and writing communities, I think be open and just like meet as many writers as you can. A lot of them you're not going to jive with, but some of them you're going to jive with perfectly. And then those people don't let go of them because some people are just like truly incredible readers of your work. Like I have a friend who I met, she's like a friend I met over like Twitch. Um, and she's a gamer and she's really cool. And her name's Monica. And she is literally the best reader for my work that I've ever had. And she's not like a big writer, but she's a huge reader. And so she, you know, as I'm doing this rewrite of Tale of Tales, I'm talking to her about everything. I'm like, what if I changed these scenes around? What if I did this? And she said to me the other day, it was so cute. She was like, you know, this is so fun to work with you on this because I get to re I get to help you work on my favorite book. And I'm like, and there's going to be people who don't love your writing. And like, as you've noted in my writing, it's cerebral. It's kind of slow. I've had a lot of people be like, this is too slow. Like Rothbart, people are like, um, what? He doesn't even turn her to, into a swan until like page like 150. Like, and I'm like, yeah, because he just thinks about turning her into a swan for 150 pages. It's his moral problem. Um, but yeah, so having someone who likes that about your work or who can see what you're doing is really helpful. And I know ha having read and critiqued a lot of stories, I am better at feedback when I know how much or like I know what the writer's trying to do and I love that. And trying to force someone to read who isn't that into your work, it's they're going to give you the kind of feedback that you have to filter out or they're going to give you feedback that kind of hurts because it goes against your image for the book or like your dream. So I guess it's like try a lot of people and pick the ones that you like the best. Um, it's like dating. Like don't, don't rush into it. Like you don't want to get into that with someone who doesn't work with you perfectly. I, I, I love that because I think that, uh, again, you know, writing is extremely personal um, and it's very uh, exposing and even though, you know, it's a story and there's many more to be written and so on, everyone takes a lot of, uh, a lot out of you. So mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's like, you gotta, you gotta know who's challenging you the right way. Um, and who's, you know, not really understanding where you're coming from. They might be giving you a decent advice that might work for someone else, but for you, it's not, it's not the appropriate one. That's, I think, the challenge. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's good advice and sometimes, um, like, I have I have a story that I wrote, and it will be coming out in Kaleidotrope, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's called The 
Phantasmagoria of Castle Speckfell. And it's about um, a guy who goes into a castle. He thinks there's a ghost. It turns out he's just sexist. It's a woman. Sorry, that's a spoiler. <laughs> but um, I had two people read it. And one person gave me, you know, it, it was good advice. Like, it was strong advice. And in some places, it really did work. But she was so against the end of this story. And for me, the end and the beginning were, like, what tied it perfectly in this, like, mirror world. I'm, like, really obsessed with, like, castles and houses with lots of layers and moving castles and weird houses. Um, like, the scene I'm writing right now, I'm rewriting as the castle out of time. Like, I, I love those sort of, like, weird big structures. So it's, like, for her to, like, say, like, this isn't working and just cut it like hurt me a lot and then I had someone else read it and she's like oh this is what you need to do to make this make sense and I'm like oh like it wasn't a it wasn't a working piece and the person who can help you fix that piece or the person who can cut that who tells you to cut that those are different people and like mm -hmm. sometimes you need both advice to figure out the right combination of what to do but um one of my writing teachers, Joanna, oh God, what's Joanna's last name? Cannot remember right now. Wow, I'm really sorry. But Joanna always said, you can do whatever you want as long as you do it well. And uh, I try to live by that. <laughs> That's good advice. That's good, advice. That's good life advice. Right? I know. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, Greta, this has been a real pleasure. I'm yeah, so this has been awesome. Joined us to, for for this interview, and I think there's a lot more conversations to be had. So you know, stay tuned. Um, but with that, I think I'm I have a lot to read apparently because you need 118 <laughs> books. So I have a lot of stuff to do, and so I'm pretty sure so will my audience. But this is a lot of great information, and thank you so much for for doing. This. Oh, thank you for having me. This was really fun.